0: to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This message is from the series Heroes and Underdogs, with a new weekly topic on one or more people who did great things for God. Be sure to check out Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. You can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. One of these days, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. There'll be nothing else you can do about it. Your legacy will be sealed. You've been working on your legacy since you were in your mother's womb. And you're gonna continue to work on your legacy until you take your last breath. It's something that's so important, it's eternally significant, and yet we don't often think about it. We don't often take the time to sit quietly to pray diligently, to evaluate honestly about the kind of a legacy that we're building. And yet it's incredibly important because your legacy is the thing that lives on after you're gone. Every single one of us is building, shaping a legacy. What is your legacy? What have you been working on so diligently? What's going to live beyond your mortal lifetime that will impact other people. It's something that we need to contemplate again and again and again and again because through the interactions we have with people, the time that we spend quietly planning and prodding, thinking, strategizing, all of these things have a way of accumulating, building up, and creating momentum in our lives. It's just a matter of what kind of momentum our lives are creating. What kind of wakes are you leaving in the current behind you? Do they point people to the Lord? Or do they point people simply to yourself? And when people look to you, even in the name of the Lord, do you use that opportunity strategically to take them further so that they look beyond you? See, every gift that we have, every resource that we have, these are things that have been given to us by God. Whether you're financially rich, whether you have a great voice, whether you have the ability to teach, whether you have a gift of encouragement, notice it's a gift of encouragement, whether you're a leader, all of those things, all of those gifts, all of those resources that have been entrusted to you have been given for one purpose, and that is to shape, to create your legacy, that you have a say in your legacy about whether or not your legacy will be intertwined with the name and the reputation and the glory of God. And so you should be thinking often about your legacy. In fact, every day, you should be thinking about your eternal legacy. You should be evaluating the things that you're doing and the things you're not doing. You should be thinking deeply about how you're doing things. I think we as followers of Jesus, we who profess to be followers of Jesus, we know about the Holy Spirit, we know about the Bible, we know about the importance of prayer, and yet there are people in other religions, Buddhists and Hindus, who are blowing us away when it comes to thinking deeply. They understand the importance of sitting quietly and evaluating, how's it going? What's happening in my life? Is this what should be happening in my life? In fact, I think that we as followers of Jesus or people who profess to be followers of Jesus, we should be masters at what has become the lost art of thinking deeply. Especially in a world that's so shallow. And there's no sign that it's going to be turning around anytime soon. You've got to fight the current if you're going to be a Christ follower. You've got to use that mind of yours that God has given you. The Bible says be transformed in Romans chapter 12. Your whole being be transformed. All of you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God doesn't want to bypass the mind. He wants to use your mind. He wants you to use your mind. And one of the things that you can do is think a lot more about your legacy. Think a lot more about how you're using God's money, how you're using the time that God has given you, how you're using the resources that God has given you. Might be time to get off that hamster wheel Yes, Albert Einstein said, Albert Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. As followers of Jesus, we should be the ones who know how to think deeply, who know how to evaluate, who know how to make adjustments mid-course in our lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our being children with parents to think deeply, how is it going? What is my legacy? Because like it or not, nobody asked you, nobody asked you, would you like to build a legacy? The fact of the matter is, you are building a legacy. It is simply a matter of what your legacy will be. And a great passage of scripture to look at as we think about legacy, is the Gospel of Matthew beginning in the first chapter with the first verse, because this is a great reminder for us in this, this story, this particular character we're going to look at today. When you think of legacy, see, you might confuse legacy with popularity. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm not talking about popularity. You might be popular in the course of your lifetime. You might have a really big platform. You might not have a big platform, but you do have a legacy. See, your legacy is what people are going to talk about when you're dead and buried. Everybody has a legacy. Do not confuse popularity for legacy, as many people are doing. You might have a lot of likes and a lot of follows, not have much of a legacy. You might be popular on social media, you might be pursuing popularity on social media. You might feel left out because you might not be so popular on social media. But the fact of the matter is there's a virtual reality and then there's reality. And your legacy has everything to do with reality. It's what you're going to leave behind once your life on earth is over. Do not confuse your legacy with popularity. Because the character that we're going to look at today is somebody who's not talked about very much in the Bible. But what we do learn from him and what we do learn about him helps us understand that even he can teach us. As somebody who wasn't necessarily tremendously popular, he comes and he goes. Every single one of us has a legacy. And you need to, I need to, we need to probably spend a lot more time contemplating, what is my legacy? What am I doing with the only life I will have this side of eternity? You're going to live forever, it's just a matter of where. What is my legacy? What kind of adjustments might I need to make in my life in order to make a change mid-course? So that the legacy that I leave behind glorifies God and positively, positively impacts people. You know, there are really only two kinds of people. Well, I'll say there's three kinds. There's people who are neutral. We'll give that, right? Whenever there's a poll taken, there's always the I don't know, undecided vote. So there's, there's always some neutral people. But apart from the neutral people, there are people who pour into our lives, energize us, and then there are vampires. They suck the life out of us. Which one are you? Are you neutral, just kind of floating around? Or are you living with intentionality, looking at your life, making the most of every opportunity and making sure that the legacy that you're leaving behind is positively pouring in to the people around you? Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right there it is in the first verse. Matthew is laying out for us the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ, helping us understand his ancestry. This is way before Ancestry.com, right? He's laying out for us the importance of Jesus' ancestry, and he's doing that for theological reasons and for practical reasons, because he wants us to understand that Jesus is the promised one, going way back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 21, Genesis 22, the Abrahamic covenant, the foundational covenant upon which we understand, through which we understand the whole Bible and all of life. If you want to understand the whole Bible and all of life, you've got to understand the Abrahamic covenant where God promised Abraham that there would be one descendant from his line through whom the nation of Israel would come into existence and through whom the whole world would be blessed. At that time, Abraham did not know who it would be. In hindsight, which is indeed 2020, when we look back, we know that that is in fact none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew wants us to understand with absolute clarity that Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham and through whom the whole world is blessed, Jews and Gentiles, because salvation is found in no other name. There is no other name given to man and woman, to people through which we must be saved other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the whole world is blessed. That's how, whether you're Jew or Gentile, black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, male, female, old, young, good-looking, not-so-good-looking, What are you laughing for? You're blessed. You have an opportunity to be blessed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so theologically, Matthew is laying it out for us in great detail, helping us understand that Jesus is the descendant, the descendant, the promised offspring spoken of in the book of Galatians, the descendant who was promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. You know, when I throw out scriptures, when I throw out scripture, That's a a clue for you, a hint for you. When you're looking for things to spend time on throughout the week in your Bible study, in your meditative time, when you're thinking about your legacy, you can go back and you can look at the book of Galatians. You can go back and look at those chapters that I mentioned in Genesis. And you can compare, you can read through them and you can say, oh my goodness, my pastor's not lying to me. He's actually telling the truth because I'm trying to feed you and I'm trying to also help you learn how to feed yourself so that you can learn how to fish for yourself and you can feast on the word of God anytime you want to, right? Not only is Jesus being laid out here as a descendant of Abraham, but also of David. And why is that significant? I'll tell you why it's significant. Because if we go to 2 Samuel chapter seven, in 2 Samuel chapter seven, written hundreds of years before Matthew came on the scene, There's this thing called the Davidic Covenant. David is a descendant of guess who? Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham. And David was promised by Nathan the prophet who spoke the word of God, he was promised that there would be a descendant of his, that David would have a descendant who would be a king, a greater king than David. One who would rule and who would reign not for a limited time, one who would rule and reign not with any kind of a difficulty of the burden of sin, but one who would rule and would reign forever, whose kingdom would never come to an end. David didn't know that person, that descendant by name, but we do in hindsight. Why and how? because Matthew is laying it out for us in the genealogy where it's, it, he's, he's laying it out for us literally. He's naming specific people. Now, I'm not gonna go through it all today, but you probably will on your own time this week, right? You probably will on your own time. You'll look into it and you'll see all of these people who are listed in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. But it's important for us to see that David is mentioned specifically as an ancestor of Jesus because of what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and verses 16. I'm going to give you the sandwich, the the ends of the, the prophecy here. When your days, in verse 12, are fulfilled, Nathan or the Lord speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, when you're dead, Well, how's it going to come about that David's involved in something after he's dead? Because it's a legacy issue. It's always a legacy issue when God is at work. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Wow and we have some other things that are being said here with the immediate fulfillment about King Solomon who would be somebody who would be a descendant of David's in the immediate sense as we often see in prophecy there's an imme- there's a two sided coins, some things that are said about the immediate sense of people's lifetime or generations nearby, and then further away in the ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we're seeing here in verses 13, 14, and 15. But then we get down to 16, and he wraps it up by talking about this particular descendant of David's, and he says this, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Before me, your throne shall be established forever. Now we know that that wouldn't be possible simply through David because he had a birthday and he had a death day and he was buried and David himself, a mortal individual. But this is a prophecy that was presented and David at that time and even Nathan at that time, they didn't have a face and a name to who this particular descendant would be, but glory to God. When we read Matthew's gospel, right there in verse 1, we're seeing the umbrella statement that is made. We understand that salvation, the deliverer, has a name, and his name is Jesus, not a Messiah, not a Savior, but Jesus The promised Messiah, as in he is the one spoken of in the Old Testament, and we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here, spoken of again and again and again. And Matthew, as led by the Holy Spirit, is helping us understand that Jesus is the one that Abraham was looking forward to, that Jesus is the one that David and Nathan were looking forward to. And we live in a day and an age now where we can look back and we know that Jesus is the promised savior. He is the promised Messiah. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and his kingdom and his reign is not temporary. It's permanent. It's eternal. And yes, of course, there are different manifestations of that kingdom throughout time, but it's all moving forward with tremendous momentum. Don't you think otherwise? The world wants us to forget what everything is leading up to. It's leading up to the literal bodily return of the Lord Jesus, the Savior, the King, the Messiah. In the first coming, he introduced himself making a grand statement. When there was no room, the people were not ready for him. He humbled himself as a child and was laid into the feeding trough of an animal. How's that for sanitary conditions? No room at the guest house for Jesus. But he came at the right time and the right way to make the right statement. And when he comes back, he's coming back in glorified splendor to take those of us who are eager for him and ready for him. Ready or not, here he comes. Jesus will be coming back a second time. He is the promised savior, the promised anointed one, the Christ. That's why Matthew says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. When you see Christ in the New Testament, you can substitute the Messiah and it'll help you understand this is the reference to all of the Old Testament prophecies and references. They all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not a Messiah. He is the Messiah the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And let me get down to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, or the Messiah, 14 generations. And so Matthew wants us to take his account literally. He wants us to take it seriously. If the literal sense makes sense, everything else is nonsense. He wants us to understand that these were real people, not fictitious people, that the history presented in the Bible is actual, it's factual, and it's important that Matthew is laying it out and agreeing with the Old Testament teachings because it helps us understand that Jesus is the one that God the Father had promised. God always makes promises, he keeps those promises, and that's why our God, the God of the Bible, is a trustworthy God. When he makes a promise to us based on his word, we can adjust our entire lives around that promise. Why? Even if it's not yet fulfilled? Because faith is the assurance of things not yet seen. Our trust is not based on whether or not it makes sense. There's a lot of things that God promises that don't make sense. Our faith is based on a sensible, reliable, faithful God. When God says something, absolutely, you can adjust your life around whatever God has promised based on his word. Now let's jump in here, verse 18, verses 18 through 25. And we're gonna look at this particular character who is a man who we don't often think about as deeply as we should. We don't often contemplate what he was going through. But when we understand what he was going through, we'll understand that we might go through some similar things in the course of our lives and he comes through this trial, this test with flying colors. And you know what? You might be in the midst of a test right now. You might have gone through some tests that you didn't do too well in. But there's no such thing as failure if you're willing to evaluate past shortcomings, missteps, stumbling, no matter how big they might be, small they might be, if you're willing to evaluate, you can learn and you can grow and you can realize that the right thing to do is always to say yes to God. No matter how amazing it might seem, no matter how troubling it might seem, when God speaks, that settles it. You can adjust your entire life. God is a trustworthy, faithful, reliable God. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or legally engaged, the legally lawful binding agreement, this woman is going to take this man, this man is going to take this woman. Legally binding. There was an opportunity... If during that betrothal period, during that, we're getting to know each other, the families are getting to know each other, the individuals are getting to know each other. If there was biblical grounds to break off that legal betrothment, that engagement period, you could forestall the wedding. You could cancel the wedding. And one of the reasons why you could do that if one of the people was found to be sexually immoral. Now, that does not mean that you were required to break it off, but you had biblical grounds to break off the marriage. You didn't have to go through with it if during that betrothal period, during that legal engagement time in the Jewish culture, you found that somebody had not been faithful and that lack of faithfulness could have been maybe in their past or perhaps they're fooling around in the present behind your back and you don't know about it. So that's the context of what's happening here. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together physically, before they had a physical relationship condoned, approved of by God in the context of marriage, by the way, that's the only kind of sexual activity that the Bible approves of. Physical intimacy between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Before that had happened, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Wait a minute. Now, the writer here is writing after the fact. If we took out the Holy Spirit component here, you'd get a little bit of an understanding of what Joseph is experiencing. Look at it it this way. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took this way. Imagine you're Joseph. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Wait a second. Wait a minute here. Everybody likes to talk about how women fantasize about their wedding day. You know, men do too. We do. We tend to fantasize more about the honeymoon. I'll give you that, okay? (laughs) I'll give you that. But whether you're a man or a woman, you think about your wedding day and you think about how it's going to be perfect. And really, you don't marry a perfect person. You think you're getting a perfect person. The fact of the matter is they're perfect for you. So whatever God is trying to teach you through that imperfect person, you better listen. Because if God could speak through a donkey, and he did in Numbers chapter 22, that's something you write down, Numbers chapter 22, Balaam's donkey, then he can certainly speak through your wife. He can certainly speak through your husband. He can certainly speak through your father or your mother, Right? But Matthew is writing this after the events have taken place. If you're Joseph, what does this mean? It means that as a Jew, as a devout Jew during the betrothal period, he now is faced with some circumstances where he can make a decision legally, appropriately, lawfully. He can make a decision. He can end this thing. Look what happens here. Verse 19, her husband Joseph being a just man, meaning a person who abided by the law. doesn't mean that he's just as in without sin. That's not what that means. It means when the Bible talks about a just man or a righteous man, the Bible also says there's nobody righteous. It's talking about somebody who followed the Old Testament standards to the best that they could, humanly speaking. That's what it means. So Joseph, her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame a merciful man, a kind man, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, there seems to be this indication of Scripture that you could divorce somebody quietly. We'll get there in a moment. But look with me at Jeremiah chapter three, verse one. Jeremiah three, one, one of the multiple examples in the Bible of, in the Old Testament, this idea of divorce. I'm just gonna read you one verse, and then we're gonna go to the book of Numbers. But in Jeremiah chapter three, verse one, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, Will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whore with many lovers and would you return to me declares the Lord? The idea of marriage being a representation of faithfulness to the Lord, okay? Marriage being a symbol, a school teacher of faithfulness to the Lord. And so your marriage matters as it gives you an opportunity. Gives you an opportunity to, to reflect the Lord well in your marriage. And again, we think about legacy. In Numbers chapter 5, some speculate that this is perhaps the ceremony that could take place before the priest, where you could divorce your wife quietly in the event of sexual immorality. Numbers chapter 5, verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, if any man's wife goes astray and breaks faith with him, if a man lies with her sexually, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, or the one betrothed, same idea here, and she is undetected, though she has defiled herself. In other words, this happened secretly, and there's no witness against her since she was not taken in the act. She was not caught in the act. And if the spirit of jealousy comes over him and he's jealous of his wife, I want you to think about Joseph, what might have been going through his mind. I want you to think deeply, not flippantly, I want you to think deeply. You're Joseph. You dreamed about your wedding day. You dreamed about your marriage. Your parents have dreamed about your wedding day and your marriage. You're excited. Everything's moving along nicely. You met this nice girl, Miriam, and she's met you, and the families have made the arrangements. Everybody's excited. And then they fly flying the ointment here. She's pregnant. And it seems to indicate that Joseph does not understand how this happened because he is willing to do something that he had every right to do. He's willing to divorce her. He's willing to break off the betrothment. And so if you were to read the rest of the book of Numbers, you get some more understanding here. Verse 16 of Numbers chapter five, the priest shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. But the idea here is that the man realizes somebody has been unfaithful. Who's been unfaithful? The betrothed or the woman that he married? And now we have to find out, is it true? The Lord will determine whether or not there has been unfaithfulness. So there's nothing really secret before the Lord. The Lord knows it all. See, you might think that it's secret going on the internet and going on your smartphone and doing stupid things on your smartphone. You might think you're getting away with it. You ain't getting away with nothing. You are not getting away with anything. The Lord sees what you're doing with your smartphone. He knows whether you're using it stupidly or wisely. He sees what you're doing on the internet. And when you consider the fact that about 70% of men, and now it's about 50% of women admit, this is what is admitted to viewing internet pornography, either on a computer or a smartphone. Talk about a lack of wisdom just over the past few weeks. Those are the people who are willing to admit it. See, what we don't think about is the fact that God sees it all. Your spouse might not see it. Your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your children or your parents might not see it. But you know what? Many of us are way down here when it comes to living our legacy. That many of us are way down here when it comes to our legacy. Many of us haven't even started to think about our legacy. We start thinking about the opinions of people or what it's all about. <laughs> man, if you think it's about what other people think about you, your vision is too small. It's always and only about what God knows to be the truth. That's why what you look at, what you fantasize about, man, fantasize about your wife all day long, All night long, fantasize about your husband all day long, all night long. Get busy in your marriage. God has blessed you and said, be fruitful and multiply. Don't just be fruitful and multiply, but enjoy the wife of your youth. Enjoy the husband of your youth. Enjoy the wife of your old age, the husband of your old age. Enjoy each other. Sexually. Express yourselves to each other. God made sex. You ever stop thinking about that? God made it. He likes it. Are we paying attention today? <laughs> Go home and experiment. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Back to Joseph. Maybe he was struggling with a little bit of jealousy. We understand that Numbers chapter 5, talks very transparently about this idea of the husband, if you were the wife, and you thought your husband was fooling around and your husband looked at you and said, stop being jealous, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? You go somewhere emotionally towards somebody else, the spouse has a right to feel jealous. Can I get a loud, I agree with you on that? See, I threw you a curveball, didn't I? I didn't say amen. Can I get a loud, I agree with you on that? Jealousy is a real thing that can happen when somebody else's affection, somebody who's dear, near to you, their affections are drawn towards somebody else, either emotionally or sexually, either emotionally or sexually, either emotionally or sexually. And so put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He doesn't know what the inner workings are here at this point. All he knows is he's legally engaged to be married to this woman. He's a just man, he's a devout man. He knows what the Old Testament says. He's within his rights to divorce her quietly and not to shame her, which means he also has a heart for this woman. He's not just marrying her because it's legally an agreement. He also has a heart for her. He's, He's got a tender heart for her. And look what happens here, verse 20. But, here's the big but, courtesy of God. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Meaning, whew. It's not a sin issue. Mary didn't sin. This is a salvation issue in fulfillment of, now Joseph might not have understood it totally this way, the way we do now in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter seven. Amazing passage of scripture here. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, the Hebrew word that's used there is used of a young woman or a virgin. It can be used interchangeably. The, the young woman, it's probably the way it's used in the Old Testament sense because there seems to be in chapter eight a fulfillment where a young woman, some have speculated that it's Isaiah's wife, a young woman gave birth to the immediate fulfillment of what was prophesied in Chapter seven, verse 14. But the ultimate fulfillment needs to be literally a virgin and that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So there's an immediate fulfillment in Isaiah chapter eight and then there's a long-term fulfillment ultimately in the idea of the virgin delivery, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's miraculous what happens here. So in a dream, Joseph hears from the Lord. Verse 21 of Matthew chapter one. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Yahshua or Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The name Yahshua or Jesus means God is salvation or God is my savior, all right? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew is connecting the dots here. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, being symbolic, God is with us. Literally, God became flesh and lived among us For a while. So, this is the most literal fulfillment here. Most literal fulfillment. It's the voice of God. It's God's voice that appears, that speaks. To Joseph in a dream. It's God's voice that speaks to Joseph in a dream. And what does Joseph do? He changes his plans. And he says, okay, now that God has spoken, I'm going to go through with marrying this girl. It's okay. There's not a sin issue. I can satisfy the Lord by obeying the law, by continuing to walk in justice. And I don't have to worry about Mary being disgraced at all. Big sigh of relief. Joseph didn't have to compromise at all because he heard God's voice. And he heard God's voice through a dream. And once Joseph heard God's voice, he could set himself about doing that thing. He could get busy doing that thing, that four-letter word that has come to be a dirty word among many of us, but which is an important word. It's a significant word. It's a vital word. It's a central word. It's foundational. If you expect to walk deeply with God, if you expect to create a legacy that is eternally significant with God, you better get a hold of this four-letter word. You better get a hold of this four-letter word, and it better become a beautiful word in your vocabulary. It needs to become an important word, a central word, brick and mortar of everything you do. Brick and mortar of everything you do, because if you don't do this four-letter word, if you don't do this four-letter word, if you don't understand this four-letter word, ain't nothing you're going to be able to do. There's nothing else you will do that will compensate for a lack of this four-letter word. The four-letter word is O B E. Why? When Joseph hears the voice of God, he obeys. He obeys. God speaks it. That settles the issue. He doesn't totally understand everything the way we do with hindsight. He obeys. He adjusts his life. He goes through with it and he honors God. Listen, there are going to be circumstances that you face in your life. You might be facing it right now. Does not necessarily make sense. It won't make sense. It's not going to make sense apart from the voice of God. And you might be, and if I say this respectfully, wasting your time waiting for a dream. Wasting your time waiting for a vision. Say, just because it's in the Bible and that's the way God spoke to Joseph doesn't mean that he has to repeat the feed for you. The primary way that God spoke to Joseph in this situation was through the dream. God's voice comes to Joseph through the dream. It didn't matter whether it came through a dream or a vision or a prophet. The messenger, the vehicle of the message is not as important as the ultimate messenger, God. Joseph was hearing from God through the dream. But the primary way that we hear from God today is through this book, the book of books, 66 books, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You can have a personal, applicable, practical, transformational, life-changing word from God any and every time you want it. All you need to do is pick up the Bible. Any and every time. And one of the sad tragedies today among many who are followers of Jesus, that they're looking for extra biblical revelation. They're looking for it. Now, does that mean that God can't give it? No, God can give it. I know of people who've had dreams. I know of people who've had visions, words from the Lord I've experienced them myself. I also know people who have eaten terrible food the night before, bad sour cream, right? Schizophrenic people hear voices. It's not the voice of God. The principle of confirmation in the Bible, so hugely important, right? In hindsight, Matthew is writing about this, and sure enough, it was an angel of the Lord. And sure enough, Mary did give birth as a virgin to the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God. Can God speak through extra-biblical means? Of course he can But so much is out of whack these days where people think that they're really spiritual or think that somebody else is really spiritual because they talk about these extraneous, extra-biblical encounters. You know what makes somebody really spiritual? Whether or not they walk with God, period. Whenever and if ever there is an extraneous, extra-biblical thing that needs to be interpreted, there needs to be confirmation if there's not confirmation, you leave it with the Lord and you continue to walk with the Lord through reading the Bible. The primary way that God speaks to us today is through your Bible, his word. That's the way that God speaks to us. And if you are neglecting the black and white of the Bible and you're expecting and asking God to give you a sign, why should God do that? Why does he have to do that? Why is he required to speak supernaturally in an esoteric or mysterious way, why is God's voice required by some to speak that way as if we're playing God and he's playing as our puppet? Why is it that we put God through hoops and say, unless you do this, I won't do what? Follow him? Isn't that really what we're talking about? It's not just about getting what we want, everybody. It's about being who he wants, and doing what he wants in the overflow. It's about being who he wants and doing what he wants in the overflow. I have found that the gray areas of my life come into clarity with crystal clear focus if I'm in the black and white of God's word, and you will too. Focus on the word of God, seek him continually, daily through his word, and you will find tremendous clarity will come into your life about God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, your will for your individual life, your will for your family, your will for your business, You and I, we can have a personal, practical, transformational word from God, courtesy of the Bible, any and every time we want it. Any and every time we want it. And so I highly suggest that you prioritize above all else in your life, the reading, the steady diet of God's word. Listen, if you are too busy to be in God's word, listen carefully. If you are too busy to be in God's word, watch what God wants to say to you. You need to understand, you need to focus on what's gonna come out of my mouth. If you are too busy to spend time in God's word, you are actually saying, the voice of God doesn't matter to me. And if the voice of God does not matter to you, then you are belittling what would otherwise and could otherwise be an eternally significant legacy for your life. More importantly, for the glory of God. It's huge. It's huge. And Joseph comes on the scene. He's around for just a little while longer in the passages of Scripture, and then he fades away, and we don't even know what happened to Joseph. Where is he? Later on, we read about Mary. We don't read about Joseph anymore, but what we do read about is his legacy, that this man played a strategic role in teaching us and showing us that a hero, an underdog, an individual that God can use is sensitive to God's voice and will adjust his or her life the moment God speaks. Is that you? Is that said of you? Are you a modern-day hero, a modern-day underdog? What is the takeaway for you and for me? What's the takeaway for you in regard to how Joseph modeled obedience? how he modeled obedience. He hears the voice of God and he begins to adjust his life. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.